I'm really stoked about this message because I could just tell you that I had an awful week preparing it. And normally what that's taught me is that there's something that's going to happen on this Sunday that's going to make all that worth it. And I'm going to kind of give you all a little, little just overview of my week. Is that okay with you guys? Um, first off, um, y'all know my cute little daughter, right? Well, uh, I was speaking to my wife last weekend, and this is my wife's fault. It's totally her fault. I'm a really good parent. I'm really responsible. My wife, on the other hand, pr please pray for her. Um, she needs help. And uh, so, anyway, just we'll leave it there, okay? I'm sitting there, and I'm like, man, we're getting really close to Lila's birthday. We've got like a week and a half till Lila's birthday, right? And so since we bought our new house, I don't like the colors. Everything in my house is gray except for the paint. They went with beige paint. And I'm like, why did you go with? So I wanted to paint our house. And she's like, when you get the tax money back, you can paint the house. So for some weird reason, I started painting the house. And, you know, I've painted for a long time in my life, but I forgot exactly how long it takes to do it by yourself, especially when people are living in it. And so my house is in shambles, y'all, and it drives me crazy because I am not the dude whose house needs to be in shambles. I'm the, I'm the guy that, like, when I cook, I don't eat until everything's cleaned up, you know? And so everything's in shambles. And then I realized my daughter's birthday is not a week and a half away. It was yesterday. So I realized this come about Wednesday, so I'm supposed to have family and friends over in my house that is a wreck. And I'm like, man, what happened? And I, so this is why I said my wife is irresponsible. Because I said, why didn't you tell me? We're walking through the store. And I'm like, it's a week and a half away. And so dad of the year. My whole family has kind of been sick with the sniffles and, and stuff like this. Well, I've noticed that my sniffles aren't going away. So Friday morning, I get up. I feel like I've been hit by, by a truck. I get up. I'm like, I'm going to go to the doctor. My voice is gone. Um, I feel awful. I go to the doctor. They're like, well, let's test you for strep. Bet you can't guess what that test came back as. Yeah. She told me, she walked in the room and she goes, Jeremy, I didn't even get the swab to the test good before it came back. And she's like, you've got strep, so we're going to give you some, because I told her, I'm like, listen, I'm preaching Sunday, I cannot be sick. Please, give me, don't give me like the weak antibiotics, give me the good antibiotics, if you got shots or whatever. So she gives me the good antibiotics, and then I broke my tooth off. Um, in the middle of the week. Now, I'm going to be totally transparent. Can we just be transparent in church? I was eating candy. So, shouldn't have been eating candy. I was eating my favorite candy. It's Cadbury mini eggs. Have you, do y'all you, do know what that is? Now, these aren't the things that are chocolate and, and full of boogers. These, these are not those. These are like a better M&M, right? They're about the size of a peanut M&M, and they taste amazing. And I'm eating it, and I'm like, man, what is going on? Like, this is hurting. Is it getting up in my gum or something? All of a sudden, my mouth's bleeding, and I'm like, where's my tooth? And so I realized that I've shattered my tooth off. And so that's kind of just an overview of my week. So can we just agree that today is going to be good? Amen. I believe God's got a word 
for us. And also, I'm one of those type of people, I like to be prepared. Um, I was praying, I was spending time reading, studying. It was one of those weeks I set aside so much time to just spend time getting this message ready. And it wasn't until Thursday that I even had an idea of what I was going to preach, right? And uh, it always helps me feel better when I get up here and I know what I'm going to preach. And I'm like, so Thursday's coming. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to preach. I'm I'm getting ready to call Pastor Brad. I'm like, hey, um, God told me you're supposed to preach. (laughs) And and so we're getting ready, and, and God started to speak to me, and and uh, I started to come up with a rough idea, and I thought to myself, ah, you know what? This sermon, I, I don't really know that there's going to be anybody here that this sermon won't at least talk to, right? That, that it won't at least kind of hit somewhere in your ballpark, so I'm excited about it. And here's what I think. I think that if you'll ask God to speak to you and you'll open up your hearts today, I think he'll, he'll do it. Amen? Now, if there's one person that understood God's goodness and what it meant to walk with God, someone who understood the blessing of God, the call on God, it would be David, right? David was someone who knew who God was. He knew who he was. He knew exactly what God had called him to do. Um, Man, David was just awesome. And we're going to be picking up some scriptures in 1st and 2nd Samuel. We're going to start out in 2nd Samuel today. Uh, we're going to start out with a, a little verse that would have been written towards the end of David's life. It, it, it's actually a, a song, and it gives us a clue of what David thought about the presence of God and what, what he thought about his purpose and what he thought God did for him. It's found in 2 Samuel 22, 20, if you want to turn there. It's just one, one little verse. You can follow around, uh, along with the YouVersion app and our live events as well. It'll also be on the screen. There we go. Um, if you want to follow along that way. If you have your paper Bible, I am reading from a translation called the Christian Standard. And it's not much different from the NIV, but if you see a couple of words here or there, don't freak out on me. I'm not, I haven't gone off script, but, you know, if you want to follow along that way. Verse 20, it says, He brought me out to a spacious place, and he rescued me because he delighted in me. Now, this is a man who's fought for a great portion of his life. He's, he's coming, he, he's old man David now. And he's fought a lot. (laughs) He's seen a lot of battles. He's been on the run. He's faced failure in his own life. He's he's seen the things that God's called him to do. He, he, He was called to be king at a young age, and then it didn't happen for a very long time. This was a man whose life was under siege at some point. He knew what it was like to be on the run. He knew what it was like to be hated for, for no reason other than being awesome. I know what that's like, right? <laughs> no, no amens? All right, it's okay. We're, it's still early, still early. Yet at the end of his life, he writes, if, if you would put that verse back up for me. He writes, he brought me out to a spacious place and he rescued me because he delighted in me. Now, I said that he spent a great portion of his life on the run. He spent nights in caves and and, in enemy territory. And here he is. He brought me out to a spacious place. I can tell you I've been cave diving before. There is not a spacious place in a cave. (laughs) Especially when you're you're rotund. And, And so I remember when I went cave diving, I got stuck. 
You know how fun that is? And I can sit here thinking about David being in a cave with all of his men. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, no, I got stuck in a cave. This is not a spacious place. David is crazy writing this. How can you spend part of your life like David did, but yet at the end of it, right, that he brought me out to a spacious place? And to understand that, we're going to look at three examples from David's life, and they're going to be represented by three different symbols. And the title of today's message is called The Horn, The Sword, and The Robe. The Horn, The Sword, and The Robe. I was going to have this awesome illustration planned for you guys. Like, uh, of course, the horn, I'm talking about the anointing horn of oil that we, we learned about last week with Samuel. He anointed the kings with it, and, and uh, I was going to have one of those, and I was going to have like this ceremonial sword up here, and I was going to have the robe, and I was going to use it. And, and listen, I had friends hunting this stuff down for me, and I, I called my friend. I have a friend that is, for some reason, I just, this is the guy that's like when you want to find some weird stuff, you call him. You know what I mean? It's like, do you have an actual working lightsaber? Yes. Yes, I do. Or I know where I can get one. And so he said, no, I don't have one, but you know what? I'm over here near the store. Let me go check it out. He goes, he's talking to the cashier, and this, this woman is behind him, and she goes, pardon me, sir. I, I hate to interrupt you, but she goes, I spent a great deal of my life as a missionary in Israel. And she's like, I have horns. I have shofars. I have swords. And she's like, I got all that stuff. It would be my honor to let your friend use that for his sermon on Sunday mornings. Can I tell you that I couldn't find a robe? <laughs> I couldn't find a robe. And you'll understand why. Now, now it does my little geek heart good. I got offered some like elfin robes and some, some uh, LARPing robes and stuff like that, right? But it's a, even a Jedi robe in, in there. Um, but you'll understand when we get kind of towards the end why I, I couldn't use those things. So I decided rather than having just a couple of my props, I would just not use any. So I'm going to need you to use your imagination today. Amen? We're going to travel back in time a little bit last week to build on some things that Pastor Josh talked about, so just bear with me because we're going somewhere with it. Now, this starts before David's name was even mentioned. We're going to start with the horn, the horn. Now, we learned last week that the prophet would carry around a horn full of oil that he would use to anoint the king, and the, the Bible talks about David being this great t king, but at this time, David wasn't even considered a candidate for kingship by his own father and by his own family. And, and I wanted to, this isn't in my notes, but I felt this this morning as I was praying. Listen, if God's called you to do something, can I just tell you that it doesn't matter what things look like now. It matters what God's called you to do. Because here, here's the deal. God told Samuel to go find the next king, and they didn't even present David as a candidate, but David was the next king. He's out there tending sheep. He's the next king, and so don't let what's going on now keep you from fulfilling what God's called you to do. Amen? Um, king Saul, he's everything that you would expect a king to have, right? And we learned last, last week that he would go on to be rejected by God and he was the king that Israel wanted, but God wanted to be Israel's king. God wanted to be the, the, the king and the, 
the people got their king, but his heart becomes hardened and he's rejected by God. And we find Samuel grieving for Saul in 1 Samuel 16. We find him grieving for Saul because let me tell you, he's, he's the one that anointed Saul. He's the one that would have spent time with Saul. He's the one that would have poured into Saul. And, and now it hurts him to see that Saul's being rejected by God. And listen to what God says to him in verse 1. How long are you going to mourn for Saul? Since I have rejected him as king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I have selected a king from his sons. Now we know because we're all Bible scholars in here and spend great time studying, right? And if you don't know who that king is, it's the, it's the name of the series, amen? Um, we know this, but Samuel didn't know who the next king was going to be. Samuel just knew that God told him to go. All Samuel knew that is that he was disappointed. He was mourning because what he hoped for did not happen. He hoped that Saul <laughs> would be a great king. When he, when he anointed Saul, can you imagine anointing the first king of Israel and, and all the hopes and, and dreams. Like, you know that this isn't the, the original plan, but it's like, if God's telling me to do this, hopefully this will turn out good. And, and when it didn't, how long will you mourn for what I have rejected? And I wonder if God's asking us this same question this morning. How long will you mourn over the season that has already passed? How long are you going to relive the pain of something that has already passed? How long are you going to compromise your destiny because of your history, right? How long are you going to let the same thing bring you down? The original plan didn't happen. They, God gave them the king. That plan didn't, didn't work out very good. And now, can you imagine being Samuel and and wonder what it's like to, to go, okay, I'm going to anoint the next king. So many of us stay stuck on Saul that we never get to David. Let me say that again. So many of us stay stuck on Saul that we never get to David. How long? So many of us are so devastated because the way we thought that it would happen, the way we thought that it would turn out, the way we, we thought that things would go is not the way that it actually happened. Right. And, and, and we never really recover our enthusiasm. We never really recover our, our vision. We never regain that momentum to move forward onto the future that God's prepared for us. How long will you um, allow the imagination of something that could have happened rob you from the thing that God knows can happen? How long? And listen, God's saying this morning, grab your horn, fill it with oil. Now the horn... And the oil represents two things in Scripture. It represents the anointing, and that's enablement and empowerment to do God's will. Isn't that amazing? Enablement and empowerment to do God's will. And then the second thing is joy. That's enthusiasm about the purposes of God. And God's saying to us today, I know it didn't turn out the way you thought it would. But how long? If you remain in what was, 
then you will miss out on what is and you'll never see what will be. Come on, church. I, I, I came to tell some people this morning the, the same thing that, that God said to Samuel, to lift your horn because God will not leave you in the present mourning over the past, right? So many times, God, God, God's trying to move us. God's trying to get us out. And listen, I just want to tell you to grab your horn because if you grab your horn and you get past Saul and you stop mourning over Saul, then there's a David. And listen to what David says. He brought me into a spacious place. Now I want to ask you, what if you're the horn today? What if, what if you're empty? What if you're hurting? What if you're the, the one that's disappointed? We've, uh, we've had some pretty bad, tragic deaths this, this year, if I'm just to be honest, or last year and, and part of this year. We had some that were very unexpected. Um, as a matter of fact, there was some that we didn't even know anything was wrong. We, we just woke up one day and found out that they were gone. We didn't have time to prepare. We didn't have time to know anything. We didn't have time to say goodbye. And, but I've always heard that when, when people are getting close to death, that it helps to have their loved ones to give them permission to move on. It helps bring peace and it helps bring closure. And, and I was thinking about this and I just want to tell us that I think that there's some people in here today that's waiting on that permission to let the dream that, that's, that's gone, to let it go. Amen? To let it go. And I want to tell you that this, this message this morning, this is your permission to, to let the thing that God's telling you, okay, let's, let's get past it. Pick up your horn. Get the oil. Let's go find David. Amen? And then there's the second thing. This one's, this one's a lot more encouraging. This one's the fun one that I get to preach this morning. The, the second one is the sword, right? And I had, I had this cool idea of me pulling the sword out and, you know, holding the sword. And, and, and see, from the first thing, we can learn that sometimes God gives you the power to move on, but sometimes he tells you to draw the sword and fight. And, and, and David was on a journey with his men. He, he was running for his life. First off, in, in this portion, he's already been anointed king, and he's running from his life. Saul's trying to kill him. Takes place somewhere around a decade after he's been anointed as king. Now, you talk about being patient, <laughs> and you talking about knowing the promises of God, and even knowing, can, can I just tell you how many people, how many Christians in 2019 would give up on their calling if, if they faced the opposition that David was facing? Man, David was awesome. He'd been anointed king, and I won't give you all the background, but if you ever want to read it, go back and read the story of David. But this particular story is found in 1 Samuel 30, if you want to read that. And he, he returns back from a journey with his men, and he's in a place called Ziglag. And this isn't his home. This is just where he's staying. This is where he's encamping while he's on the run. And they returned. They found the city and the camp burned to the ground. Not only had the city been burned, but all of the wives and all of the daughters of the 600 men with David had been taken by the enemy raiders that burned the city. 
And scripture says that upon seeing this, David and his men grieved so hard that they could not even cry anymore. Now that's grief. That's loss. David and his men could not even cry anymore. But listen to this, listen to this. But David found strength in the Lord. David found strength in the Lord. And that's where we're going to pick up in 1 Samuel 30, verse 7. David said to the priest, Abiathar, I'm going to butcher these names, um, son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought it to him, and David asked the Lord, should I pursue these raiders, and will I overtake them? The Lord replied to him, pursue them, for you will certainly overtake them and rescue the people. David and the 600 men went and they came to the. Now, I'm going to stop right here, and can we just all agree that this word right here, the, I don't know how to pronounce that. So can we just call that a brook? Because that's what that is. David and his men, can, can I get a show of hands if I could just call that a brook? All right, thank you. So they came to the brook where some stayed behind. David and 400 of the men continued the pursuit while 200 stopped because they were too exhausted to cross the brook. Let's skip down to verse 18 because this is such a cool moment. David recovered, listen, everything that the Amalekites had taken. He also rescued his two wives. Now, Pastor Josh has assured me that he's planning on doing a series on polygamy coming up soon called Sister Wives and Concubines right? So we're just going to skip over this, this portion, and I'm not going to get into it too deep, right? Some of y'all are like, I didn't know the Bible was said in Utah. <laughs> if you're not laughing, you need to Google that. Go ahead. You can Google it in church. I'll give you, I'll give you permission. Focus. Focus. All right. Verse 19. Nothing of theirs was missing from the youngest to the oldest, including the sons and daughters, all the plunder of the Malachites had taken. David got everything back. Sometimes God tells you to move on. I have something better. Some things God tells you that you have to fight for. Some things God tells you to take the sword from the sheath and fight because this is your family. This is your kids. This is your marriage. Uh, go get back what the enemy has taken from you that God gave to you. When something that God wants you to have has been taken away, the only solution is to pursue the ba on the basis of God's promise. Now, God told David to pursue them that you will get it back. Right? So David was not pursuing out of revenge. He was not pursuing out of, out of just his blind ambition or his rage. He wasn't even pursuing out of the grief. He was pursuing a promise that God had given him. God said, I gave you these things. Pursue the Amalekites. You'll get everything back. You'll get everything back. The scripture says in Hebrews 4.12 that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Pursue the promises of God. See, God gave David that promise, and he had to pursue it, though, right? I came here today to tell you to pursue and fight for what God's promised you. That, that's your permission slip. The promise is your permission slip. You, you know, David asked God, can I pursue them? Will I overtake them? God said, yes. The promise 
is your permission slip. Fight for your kids. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your finances. Man, take the sword out and fight for the thing that the enemy's trying to take from you. Uh, take, uh, fight for your vision. Fight for this community. Amen. Amen. That's something we don't hear a lot. Fight for this community. There's so much going on in the world. Fight for this world. The, the, the promise is the permission, and the best thing about this whole thing is that when you feel like the enemy's stolen something from you, that is the greatest opportunity that you are ever going to have to be a living demonstration of the restoration promise, uh, power of God. I'm going to say that again. When you feel like the enemy has stolen something from you, that is the greatest opportunity that you are ever going to have to be a living demonstration of the restoration power of God. Why didn't God keep the Amalekites from raiding the camp? Why didn't God keep the enemy? It obviously was going to cause great grief. They grieved so hard that they couldn't even cry anymore. Why didn't, why didn't God stop it? Because if, if God would have stopped it, then, then this story wouldn't be there. We couldn't use this example to show that, that David was able to show the restoring, overcoming, overpowering power and strength of God. They brought everything back. And if you read on, they brought some more back. <laughs> they brought plunder back. They brought loot back. When something leaves your life and you can't change it, fill your horn and move on. When the enemy steals what God wants you to have, you draw your sword and you fight. No matter how long it takes. We know that it was an exhausting journey because 200 men stayed behind because they were exhausted. But David knew, it and knew that it doesn't matter how hard it is. I know the promise. I know the promise. You may be the only one in your family that beats this addiction. You may be the only one in your family that beats this thing that has been, has been labeled in your family. Some stop at the brook but you have a promise to pursue. Some people might tell you to move on, that you can do better, find a new spouse, to stop wasting your time, but that's not what you meant when you said for better or for worse. So, so you're not done fighting for your marriage. You're not done fighting for your family. When your kids turn three, come on, I feel the anointing on this one. When your kids turn three and you want to change their name to Legion, <laughs> that's, that's not the time to stop at the brook not the time to stop at the brook when, you're, when your kids are turning away from the, the way that they were raised. You pursue them because the promise is your permission. There's an author named Napoleon Hill, and he said about some of the most successful people in his time, he, he was interviewing them, and they all said in some form or another that their greatest victory came one step after defeat had overtaken them. One step after defeat had overtaken them. Just after Ziglag had been burned to the ground. Just after 200 were too tired to carry on. Just after the door was shut on a barred tomb. Right? Just after. It's just, just after we think that that defeat's overtaken us. The greatest victory. The greatest victory. I'm not saying it won't be hard. I'm not saying you... You won't get tired. I'm saying that you won't lose if you don't quit. Yeah. 
Everybody do me a favor. Say, fill your horn. Now say, draw your sword. And now the third one. And I almost stopped before this, this point. <laughs> and uh, however, I think that it's probably one of the most powerful ones. The, 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 third, the third symbol, the third thing today. And that's the robe. That's the robe. I almost stopped here because I was like, you know what? This is, this is pretty good. I've got, I've got five pages of notes. You know, I've got, I've got this thing. And I had this vision of me like, you know, having you guys say, you know, grab your horn and maybe grabbing your Bibles and us all gathering up to the front and saying, you know, grab your sword and, and all this stuff. And I just felt like I should go on. So I, I started to think about this one more time in David's life. This one more time. Now this is a time that David definitely wasn't proud of. It's a time that if he could go back and edit the story of his life, he would probably leave this moment out. Um, Siri. Sorry. Was that, was that me or was that you? Was it me? It was you. Okay. No. Okay. So <laughs> he would probably leave this part out. To be honest with you, if he could go back and change it, he would probably change this, right? This is, this is David's great sin. This is the great sin that many of us know that David committed, and it's found in 2 Samuel 11. God had given him great victory. He's been king for many, many years. He's been given victory after victory after victory. He's been given rest on every side, but he's became complacent because he should have been at war, but he was at home while his men fall. And I got to thinking about this. I'm like, I wonder if David wasn't even feeling a little bit cocky. You know, everything that we do, we win. So why do they need me? My men's got this. My men are more than capable of having this. And, and, and we're always victorious. So David's at home and he sees a woman named Bathsheba taking a bath and, and, and he calls for her. She has no choice but to come to David. trying to keep it PG but he lays with her gets her pregnant and then has her husband killed to cover it up the prophet Nathan comes to David tells him that he's displeased the Lord and of course David being uh, the man after God's own heart he, he, he's heartbroken the 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 prophet says that because of this sin, the baby's going to die. He, he says, God still loves you, and he forgives you, but there's going to be consequences. So David starts to fast. He starts to pray. The Bible actually goes into detail about this fast that he just deprives himself from food, and he doesn't change his clothes for days. He's lying around asking God to, to spare the child, yet God doesn't because, can I just be honest, some, sometimes you don't get the things back. And th this, isn't, this is the hard point to preach. This is the, this is the point that makes, makes it feel like you're in a funeral when you're preaching, right? But lean in, lean in. David's men are so concerned about his mental state that they're whispering they're trying to figure out who's going to tell him that the baby's already dead. 
how are we going to tell him? Who's, who's going to do it? And they were trying to figure it out. And let's look at 2 Samuel 12, 19. When David saw that his servants were whispering to each other, he guessed that the baby was dead. So he asked his servants, is the baby dead? He is dead, they replied. Now what's David going to do next? The baby's dead and it's because of his own sin. He's covered in shame. He's covered in filthy clothes. He's sickly. He hasn't eaten. But then verse 20. David got up from the ground. He washed and anointed himself. Now, remember, anointed empowerment, enablement. He changed his clothes. Now, this is the king. Can you imagine David getting up and he, he washes and... Some translations, they, they, they talk about how he gets up and he puts on a fine robe and he puts on his lotions and his oils. I mean, he, he gets decked out here. And that's why I chose not to do the illustration because I, I didn't feel like I could find a robe that really could do this justice. He changed his clothes. He went to the Lord's house first and he worshiped. Then he went home and requested something to eat, and they served him food, and he ate. Then his servants asked, Why have you done this? While the baby was alive, you fasted and wept and mourned. But when he died, you got up and ate food. And David answered, While the baby was alive, I fasted and wept, because I thought, who knows? The Lord might be gracious to me and let him live. But now that he's dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I'll go to him. But he'll never return to me. Then David comforted his wife, Bathsheba and he went to her and he slept with her and she gave birth to a son named Solomon. Now we know Solomon would go on to do some great things and the Bible says that Solomon was loved by God. What I want to tell you today is that when you've fallen short and when you feel ashamed, when you when you have done things that you wish that you could change but you can't, what do you do? What do you do? And I think the message of the robe is that there comes a time to change your clothes and go into the presence of God. What did David do? He, he took off those rags. He took off those dirty clothes. And he didn't eat first. He got up and he went in and he worshiped God. He worshiped God. And I think this is one of the things that makes... Because, you know, this was a wicked thing that David did. This was a wicked... And it would haunt him for the rest of his life. If you follow the rest of David's story, this mistake and, and, and just the things and the dysfunction that comes from this moment, it haunts him. But what he does right here is why he was a great king. He, he exchanged the rags that he was in for the robe, the kingly robe. The, and, and what I started to think of is the exchange of rags of sin for the robe of righteousness. The message of David here is yes, there may be some things that you have done, but what you did, listen to me church, what you did does not change who God is. What you did does not change who God is. 
the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, abounding in love to a thousand generations. David's showing that he wished that he could change this. I wish I wouldn't have brought all this pain. I wish that I could take it back, but I can't stay in these clothes forever. And I believe that the grace of God covers over what I did and who I've been. So clothe me in your robe, God. This is the gospel. This is the great exchange. Exchange the, the, the rags of sin for the, for the robe of the king. The scriptures say that our righteousness was like filthy rags, but he arrayed us in Christ with robes of righteousness that when we stand before him at the throne one day, all who are in Christ will stand clothed in the righteousness that belongs not to us, but has been freely given in the son who he loves. It's time to move forward. It's, it's what you did is not greater than what Christ did. Listen to me, church. What you did is not greater than what Christ did. It's time to move forward. This is your permission. If you would, I want everybody around this place to just bow your head and close your eyes.